1: Shalom from Jerusalem, this is Watchmen Talk, a series of conversations with Israeli experts and practitioners in intelligence, military, security, and diplomatic fields. And our guest today for a third part of our long conversation is uh, General Amnon Sofren, PhD. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for staying. (laughs) And... um, you uh, moved from military intelligence, where you attained the rank of Brigadier General, and you were the head of the Combat Intelligence Corps to Mossad wearing civilian clothes, no longer in uniform, but uh, more convenient. More convenient. <laughs> well, some, some would say that uh, having the same uniform, not having uh, to worry uh, what, to wear, what to wear today is also uh, convenient. Right. Um, so, Iran was one of the issues on your plate. How um, long uh, was the Iranian uh, project? Uh, how advanced was it uh, when you took over, General Daganis Mossad chief, and U.S. his intelligence division chief? Uh, was Iran really close to, to at least a first bomb when the Americans invaded Iraq? and according to the American version, caused Iran to stop its uh, project.
0: I think they were exaggerating. I think they were far away from uh, having the capability to produce the first device. I think that, uh, first of all, <clears throat> they had a conversion facility, which was activating. They had some, I think it's about was about 10,000 centrifuges installed in Natanz. They began to uh, dig and uh, build up the second facility in Fordo. But they were far away from uh, having the capability to produce uh, the materials and to get to an uh, enrichment of about
1: 90%. So there was no point in, in bombing Iran at the time? No, not at all. Not at all. In advance of the um, uh, American uh, war against Saddam Hussein, Uh, What was uh, uh, your assessment regarding his uh, weapons of mass destruction? Of course, the Americans uh, believed uh, they did not uh, uh, fool anyone but themselves. They really, truly believed that this was the case. They uh, were obviously deceived by by, uh, some uh, agents who had uh, their own interests. What was your... And the son-in-law of Saddam as well. The son-in-law of Saddam
0: who deserted to the West and gave information, which probably was false. Why? Why did he do it? Maybe he was sent by Saddam himself. But what was... Uh, uh, to mislead everyone. Why, why to was... Deter, it?
1: To deter okay. them from, uh, from invading Iraq. But uh, it only provoked them to do it. Uh, perhaps the, the Oriental mind and the Occidental mind uh, probably uh, work in different ways.
0: Totally, totally. I can tell you from uh, one of my research <clears throat> that I carried out within my PhD thesis was regarding the UK decision to uh, join the Americans to the invasion to Iraq. And Mr. Tony Blair tried to find out any justification to join the war. And then he told these people, these military intelligence people and uh, MI6, to prepare a file or a uh, a dossier. A dossier, which is uh, incriminating Iraq for having uh, new non-conventional weapon
1: systems And he did that in order to be on President Bush's good side, of
0: course, and he told course. him I
1: will be with you
0: As long and anything you want I will be with you. He told him that on April 2002 while being at Crawford at the George Bush ranch for a weekend and nobody knew what they talked about.
1: Almost a year before the, the war started. Right,
0: right. He gave him his commitment, and then he got back home. He updated only a few people around him. And uh, in the end, he told these people to uh, prepare such a dossier that will incriminate Iraq and tell them that they had conventional weapons. What about your dossier? What, what did you know or believe you knew? We believe that uh, Iran had uh, non-conventional weapons. Chemical, least, biological? Chemical and biological. Not and, nuclear? Uh, no, 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 not nuclear. Not at that time. Even though they went over to a uh, centrifuge enrichment instead of the reactor that was demolished in on, uh, 1981. <clears throat> but uh, we didn't believe they were going to do anything without it. With that, and uh, to uh, begin... Uh,
1: launching rockets and missiles all around. So these are two different assessments. One, whether they have it, and the other one, whether they will use it. Or if, if Saddam, as the, sta- the saying was, will have his back to the wall, will, as a desperate last act, do it? Yeah,
0: yes, this was a, that was the
1: assessment that he's going to use it, if it's going to happen. And, and Mossad shared this assessment with military intelligence. Right. But, but uh, the uh, uh, group responsible for assessment is military intelligence, not- For that issue, right? Yeah. For other issues, Mossad is, is uh, responsible.
0: There is a debate what is the responsibility of the military intelligence to give what we call the early warning. And Mr. Dagan had a debate with the DMI, Director of Military Intelligence, for, for a very long time. General Falkash. General Falkash. He said, your responsibility is to give only warning for a war or some hostile act against Israel, not for everything.
1: Not for a major terror act? No,
0: no, no, no. He said the responsibility for a major terror act is divided between the Shabak, the internal security agency, and the military intelligence. What happens abroad is under the control of the Mossad, totally. So you don't have anything to do with that, and uh, for example, when uh, Mr. Sharon was Prime minister, he defined that uh, the Iranian issue would be led by the Mossad and not by the military including the diplomatic side yeah,
1: correct uh, okay so so um, there was this debate within the intelligence community, and um, your organization, Mossad, is, as you said, mostly operational. Of course, there are intelligence uh, inputs into right, it. Right. But, but the whole idea is to serve the uh, operational side. Not only. I said because... And, <coughs> and decision
0: makers. And decision makers, right.
1: So uh, when the Iraqi war unfolded, uh, obviously uh, one of uh, the most important parts was the American one, because... The Americans decided that there will be a war, um, but uh, according to uh, what most Israelis read since Ben-Gurion's time, you are not supposed to collect intelligence on Americans. No. So, so, how, so how do you reconcile your need to know the blue side, as well as the red one, if you uh, have to come up with a net assessment?
0: You have two ways. The first one, you share information with your colleagues abroad, meaning in the U.S., in the U.K., everywhere. Essential, of course. Essential elements of information, not everything. And there is what we call a third-part agreement, that you can't share the information that you got from some of your colleagues. You can't share it with anyone else without this permission. And the second issue that you have a military at the United States, and is, of course, going to the Pentagon and uh, listening and
1: asking questions. And these regular channels. Right. But there is a problem there, because intelligence agencies uh, are uh, very fanatically guarding the identity of their sources. But you, as the consumer of their product, want to know uh, who is the source, is it Is he or she or the uh, technical means um, reliable? Uh, We found out that the Iraqi war was fed by unreliable sources. Uh, So can you take it at face value when you get um, some intelligence product, even without um, the possibility of the other side feeding it to you uh, for some purpose? First of all, all, they they don't
0: share their uh, sources with us, none of them, as we do, okay? We don't. We don't, of course. We don't share information or our sources with anyone. Everybody keeps his own sources for himself, and uh, you uh, only update him with what we call processed information.
1: But But then you have another danger. If both of you recruited the same agent without knowing it, (laughs) you think you have... It from two sources, the golden egg. <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> no, no, but no, no. Uh, it's the it's the same guy. No, but in the end, you you uh, you generate an assessment. Okay, you take into consideration what you have and what you got from your allies, and you generate the whole picture according
1: to your understanding. But, okay. but even without spying on the U.S., especially after the Polar affair, uh you have to assess. Uh, what the United States will do, what is uh, its uh, staying power. Uh, if it is uh, bogged down in Iraq, what will it do vis-a-vis Syria or Iran or the Palestinians? Are you also doing that?
0: Yeah, we are doing, uh, doing our assessment of what are the implications of such activities of, of the U.S. If the U.S. is going to interfere in, in Iraq, mm-hmm. what will be the outcomes? What, are the what, is, what will endanger Israel? out of that,
1: OK? But you don't follow the Americans, not at all. Now, when you uh, worked for Mossad, uh, it was earlier this century. Technology has improved immensely over earlier generations. Mm-hmm. And the balance between human and SIGINT, human intelligence and signal intelligence, other electronic uh, parts of the work, has shifted. Uh, What was your assessment? Uh, uh, Should Mossad and other similar agencies around the world still rely on human sources the way they used to do?
0: You have to see a broader picture, because first of all, you have uh, more SIGINT capabilities. On the other hand, there is no substitute for a source that is very close to the decision makers at one state, enemy state, of course. And they can give you the most reliable information coming out directly from the mouth of senior people in this state. So you have to weigh everything and to build up your uh, what we call gathering plan, which is combined of SIGINT, your allies part of it, and of course, and other resources as well, other sources as well, not only. And to build up the capabilities and to be able to monitor and to see if we have a coverage good enough with a second area on a certain area or certain issues, you don't have to waste or to recruit people in that area as well to have double-double efforts. Okay, so we have to make the balance between all of them.
1: But if you have, let's say, the uh, king's closest confidant or uh, someone in the prime minister's bureau, of some country, can't you also use them as agents of influence? If you want them to shape policy for the other side, shouldn't you also tell them what outcome you would like to have as the state of Israel when uh, their councils of state convene? You try to affect them as much as you can, but uh, you do it
0: very carefully not to expose it, not to expose this guy or guys.
1: Whoever they are, and uh, not to endanger them. Why are uh, agents uh, in this day and age uh, still come to work for foreign intelligence services? Is it money? Are they tempted? Are they being coerced, pressured into serving? What, what's the main motive? It's very
0: complicated. It's not only money. Money comes in the end. But the first motive to come and uh, to uh, be able to work for Israel or whoever is for many reasons, some of them coercion, some of them disappointment, frustration, you name it. So in the end, after the deterioration, what we call, uh, the issue of money comes off. But it's not the main issue, And, and unlike uh, what people tend to think.
1: Now, uh, we all remember the, the case of uh, Ashraf Mawan in 1973. right? And uh, while uh, he had uh, a regular case officer, the Mossad chief, uh, Tzvi Zamir, uh, insisted on running him himself, meeting him, um, and obviously the prime minister and the minister of defense and others knew his identity. Mm-hmm. Has this practice changed um, ever since? Um, uh, do the uh, people in the political echelon uh, even know the identity of Mossad sources?
0: They know when we transfer the information to them, we say who their source is. Only for the prime minister.
1: His position and name? Only for the prime minister? Only for the prime minister. And not even his military secretary, people around him? No. Personally, not even the minister of defense?
0: No. Not necessarily. Depends on the issue. But uh, the head director of the Mossad is going to meet uh, very important people that uh, have important information to deliver. And he wants to see the man to, uh, to get his own impression on the people and to be able to uh, decide whether to uh, trust him. To be able, Is he reliable
1: enough? It is not the agent who insists on meeting the Mossad no, chief, but the no, other way around. No, no. Right. But, right. but um, is this a good practice? Because the Mossad chief may not be as astute and experienced in reading agents, especially from Arab countries, as some of his uh, officers uh, may be. There was this claim that because only Ashkenazi uh, officers met, in particular Ashraf Mawan, they couldn't understand uh, what to make of him.
0: I think the director of the Mossad, whoever it is, has enough experience in life and uh, is skilled enough to notice and to be able to uh, decide for himself whether this, re- is, <coughs> this person is rebel enough or not.
1: General Sofring, you were there for the uh, so-called Second Lebanon War in 2006, right. in which General Dagan, based on his military experience, had opinions uh, which did not uh, coincide with what the defense minister and the chief of staff uh, suggested to the uh, cabinet.
0: Were you there with him? Of course. From the first day of the war up to the last day, he insisted from the first day of the war, from the minute the war war broke out, that if we don't maneuver with ground forces, we'll never get to any achievement in Lebanon. But just 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 attacks from beyond, meaning using airplanes, artillery, rockets, and so on, will give, will bear no consequences, no fruits
1: but uh, politically and uh, because of public opinion, because uh, the uh, withdrawal from Lebanon only took part six years le- earlier. Uh, Was that feasible? Uh, One has to uh, take into account these aspects too. Uh, It is not only a professional judgment.
0: I think it was feasible if the armed forces were prepared enough for this mission, which were not.
1: But this you didn't know because Mossad does not cover uh, the The Israeli defense forces. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But you retired only four or even three years earlier. Were you uh, aware of uh, the uh, hollowness of the forces?
0: Not to that extent.
1: How come? I was surprised,
0: really, by the weakness of the ground forces
1: and the maneuvers and the attempts to... to... So in in that uh, regard the Palestinians uh, were successful in drawing the IDF into the territories um, uh, for counter-terror missions, for for police actions, uh, and uh, neglecting the preparations for a regular war. Right, right, right. So is that a lesson for for Israel? Of course,
0: of course. Israel should be prepared to be able to uh, launch a military uh, operation Whatever, wherever it needed and when, whenever it needed, with a very short notice. And not to say, OK, we need now a year to be prepared. No, it
1: doesn't work as well. So in your five years there, you had the Iraq War. You had the Lebanon War. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had the uh, North Korean nuclear reactor in Syria, all uh, compacted. All together. All together. Uh, This is considered uh, an intelligence coup, and especially Mossad's. Right. How did that come about?
0: It began on 2003. 2003, November 19th. Suddenly I hear on the news that uh, Libya has decided to to give up its uh, non-conventional capabilities. A Mossad failure. Oops. And we didn't know anything. We were surprised twice. First of all, by the idea that there was a nuclear plan in Libya that was a 10-key project made by the Pakistanis, and especially by uh, Abdullah Qadir Khan, who was the father of the Islamic bomb. And second, the UK and the US were negotiating with Libya for about eight months. Without letting you know. Without letting us know. All of us. That's not nice. No, no, it's not friendly. <laughs> But in the end, when we learned the lesson, we found out two main things. The first one is uh, it was a very advanced project installed by the Pakistanis. Second, the centrifuges were installed in uh, very civilian places like uh, classrooms and so on without any surrounding or giving clues that something is happening there. But you must have some water source next to it. Yeah. And then, we came on, and I said, uh, okay, this is a failure. Now let's see, Mr. Khan, of course, wasn't only in, in Libya. Let's see wherever he placed in uh, he was visiting
1: very often in the Middle East. So this is what Secretary Rumsfeld called unknowable unknowables.
0: Right. And they told me very, very, in a very short notice that uh, he was visiting in Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Syria say, OK, Egypt and Saudi Arabia I put aside because they are very attached to the Americans and they won't do anything to violate the NPT. Syria. Let's see what happens in Syria. And we began focusing on Syria. And I took uh, two very experienced uh, analysts and said, uh, OK, please go over
1: what we have in Syria regarding nuclear. Over the past 10 years. These are nuclear experts from the um, Atomic Energy Commission or military. No, 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 no. no, no. Your own no, Mossadman. your own Mossadman. My own man.
0: And they came after a month and a half and said, uh, OK, we have a conclusion. We believe that Syria is uh, actually running a nuclear program. This is in early 2004. It's the end of 2003. Yeah, beginning of the end of 2004. Two years
1: before you actually found. Almost three years, almost three years.
0: And I said, uh, "Okay, what you are basing your uh, assumption on?" They said, uh, "Okay, A, B, C, and D and E." Okay, said, "I have two uh, two uh, requests for you. First of all, give me the main idea, main pieces of information. I want to go over by myself." And I took another group of two other analysts. Independent. Red team. Red team. And they say, please go over the materials without knowing what they told me. And I want your conclusion about it. And they came to the same conclusion. And I came to the same conclusion myself. And when I came to General Dagan at the beginning, he said, are you serious? This poor country with the old tanks and APCs
1: so but the conclusion is that someone else is doing it for them or helping them.
0: Right. And then we began launching a uh, very, very uh, ambitious gathering plan. We took a three years with a lot of operations and going from point to point and tying the links. And in the end, we came out with five sites that we had suspicion that there was military or Nuclear capabilities or military And Deir Azur was one of them. One of them. Of course, it is the main core. That was the reactor. And we were looking for centrifuge at the beginning because of some piece of information that we got earlier. And suddenly, somebody is telling me, a young officer from uh, Amman, from the military intelligence, intelligence is telling me, maybe I'm looking for the wrong thing. Maybe I'm looking for, maybe we should look for a reactor. And then we found out that uh, the North Koreans... Young some North Koreans are uh, attending in Syria. We knew that some of them were there because they pressed or helped the, <coughs> the Syrians build the line for uh, the ballistic missiles that were transferred from, uh, from North Korea to Syria. But we found some other Koreans as well. And we began tracking them. And then we reached this facility on uh, Deir Azor on the banks of the Paratus River. And when we got, got deeper and deeper, we found out that uh, this is actually a reactor.
1: So the story of uh, finding the blueprints or the pictures uh, on a computer belonging to, to a Syrian official, as if by chance this is wrong, this is the folklore uh, part of, uh, or the cover story perhaps.
0: It's not by chance, because we insisted on uh, going every time this man left Syria. We insisted going and uh, paying a visit at his belongings.
1: And when he was in Vienna or other places.
0: And actually we find out uh, these incriminating pictures that uh, he's actually carelessly took on his first personal computer.
1: Do you remember and, uh, this eureka moment that when you had... That suddenly
0: you're looking for something you have suspicion and suddenly there is a
1: light And you are wow. John suffering we ran out of time uh, Just in conclusion, what should Israel do vis-a-vis Iran now that we are in 2022 after all uh, was said and done in um, very short sentences To keep on doing what we are doing right now, meaning to try to uh,
0: slow down the Iranian efforts to get to a nuclear device and to work
1: in coordination with the US. Does the Israeli decision-making system um, apply well to national security crisis? Because you delved into it in your PhD thesis. What's your conclusion?
0: I believe that uh, something had to be improved.
1: During these processes, and most no. of most of the time, uh, is, this was under Prime Minister Netanyahu. Now it has been improved.
0: I don't know. I'm not. I'm not there to see it,
1: but uh, I hope it is better. So this is your next uh, career diplomacy because you managed to <laughs> escape from uh, the question. No,
0: no, no, no. no, I don't have
1: any ambition to go there. Retired General Amnon suffering former military intelligence and Mossad senior officer and the writer of a very interesting uh, PhD thesis. Thank you very much for coming to TV7 News. Thank you. And we will be back with another edition of Watchman Talk very soon. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.